So a new series, The Way of Jesus, The Way of Jesus, my focus, uh, and the other pastors, the preaching team are going to come and teach different parts of following Jesus, and my particular focus today is humility, humility. And um, I want to tell you that the donut is very humble. Did you know that the donut was very humble? Because uh, it isn't self-centered. There was this beekeeper, he went out to the hive to thank the bees. He said to them, this is the best honey in the world, thank you. I thought that was very nice of him. Have you thanked a bee lately? A few of the bees shouted back, oh, it's good, but we wouldn't say it was the best honey in the world. I guess they were humble bees. Humble bees. All right. These are going over great. <laughs> oh, man. So how does the houseboat owner greet his guests? Welcome to my humble abode. Come on, the boat, the boat owners love that one, right? You said that. Okay, a little humor to lighten the mood to get us ready just to, to receive the word of God today. Let's go over in Scripture to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I'm going to... Um, talk just a few minutes on, on basically following the way of Jesus, because that is our whole series emphasis. And then I'll shift over into the specific parts about humility here in a minute. So John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Greek word we have there for way just means traveler's journey or path. So not only does he provide the way, but he also shows the way. So, hey, we have to follow his ways and the way that he has made. So get this, based on that passage, his way and his ways will always be the truth. If it's not the truth of God's word, it's probably not his way. His way and his ways will also always be authentic life. They will bring you life. They will bring you the God kind of life. Some of you might know that a uh, New Testament Greek word for life is Zoe. And that basically means not our way of life, but God's. Here's a couple things that expound on that idea of life that comes from following the way of Jesus. That life is the absolute fullness of life. Aren't you glad about that? It's both essential and ethical. It belongs to God. And through him, it has this idea of the revealed theology of Logos, which is the written word of God, but also in Christ whom was Logos in flesh. The word dwelt among us, and we become that too. It's real life, it's genuine, it's an active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion, even in this world, for those who put their trust in Christ. Amen. So the way of Jesus is full of life-giving truths. There's so much there to see. And these truths are truths that confirm God's word, and they will also show us the way. It's self-confirming, it's self-redirecting. Here's the word, here's the way. Here's the way, here's the word. Here's the word, here's the way. We have to recognize today that the way is not naturally in us. Our way, the way of mankind, time and time again has proven contrary to his way. Completely the opposite. Genesis 6:12 shows us, and God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for humanity had corrupted its way upon the earth. Isaiah 53:6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. 
for each of us had turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of all of us to fall on him. Say, we have to put both hands up and say, we've turned to our own way, but we want to turn back to your ways, Lord. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, Lord, that a person's way is not in himself, nor is it in a person who walks to direct his steps. We cannot get our way from our mind, our intellect, the news, society, culture. It has to be from the Lord, from the Lord Jesus. So we're kind of confronted then. We're kind of hit with this hard truth today. In Matthew 7, Jesus said this, For the gate is narrow, and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. How many of you know he experienced that? Because he started out with a big crowd. How small did it get as he got closer to the cross? Few who find it. I want to be in the few. How about you? Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So let's grab a hold of this truth. His ways aren't our ways. It's a great truth to embrace. And while the way is narrow, and it's for the select few of us who will choose to follow it, there's some good news here. There's a great promise involved. Would we forsake our way and follow his way? So here's feeling number one, if you're uh, taking notes on the note sheet or online, if you're able to access those, it's, it's this. When we follow the way of Jesus, his word will be accomplished. There's a direct correlation between the word of God coming to pass in our lives and whether we follow it or not. Isaiah 55:10. the rest of this passage shows us what's going to happen here. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. You want to see God's word come to pass in your life? Follow his way. Do what he says to do. See, as you and I conform to his way, no matter how hard it is, it's pretty hard sometimes, no matter if it makes sense to us or not, no matter if we see a good reason from our own understanding, even if we don't see the results we think we should see, God's word will be released to do what he wants it to do. Don't miss that there are things you'll never see this side of heaven that God has accomplished because you followed the way. Amen? Amen. Matthew six thirteen. In the Amplified, I think this is the best version to read this particular scripture from. But first and foremost, importantly, seek, aim at, strive at his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And all these things will be given to you also. When we seek his way of doing and being right, we're assured that our steps will be ordered. Not perfect, but on the right path and in the right direction. You know what I look for in someone that, that I want to help lead and grow and mentor in the things of God? Not someone who's perfect and has it all together, not someone that I particularly think, well, I like them 
we could be friends, but are they facing the right direction? Because if you're facing God, he can get a hold of your heart. Does that make sense? When we turn away, it's really hard to see God do anything until someone turns towards the Lord. So we're all imperfect. We all make messes. We're all at different phases of our growth. But the grace of God just says, here's the path. And I love to see people on the path towards discipleship and growth in him. And you know what? If you fall off the path, get right back on the path and he will help you. See, our steps will always be close to the Lord and within his grasp so that he can pick us up and steady us on the difficult and narrow journey. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled down because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I want Jesus to hold my hand. I want the Lord to hold my hand. See, Jesus made a way where there was no way Our sinful condition has kept us from having a way back to the Father. It blocked redemption. So we must receive his free gift of salvation by grace through faith. And if we do that, then we have a new and living way to follow the way of Jesus. Behold, let's come by a new and living way, the way of Jesus. So here we are to fill in number two. It is the topic today, humility is a major truth of the way of Jesus. Humility, you can't escape it. You can't get past the fact that this is a huge part of God's word for us when we look at the ways of Jesus and the ways that we want to embrace. So the Greek word translated humility there simply means to make low, to make low, to get down in the dirt with the rest of humanity and be a conduit for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get our hands dirty. No one is above us. Nothing, nothing is beneath us to serve in the way of Jesus. You see, get this truth today. There's really no salvation without humility. Wow, that's crazy. Why would you say that? Because Jesus humbled himself to reach us. Had he not done that, there would be no salvation. So no humility of Jesus, no salvation. Secondly, we have to humble ourselves just to receive what he did. We have to admit we're wrong. We're born into sin, this fallen world, and and the way is not in us. So that's a humbling thing. So Jesus humbled himself. We humble ourselves. And then third, and this is maybe our biggest challenge, sometimes we struggle with this. We have to humble ourselves to reach others for the gospel. Come on. We've got to get past our insecurities, some of our own issues, and really get into the position of humbly speaking with someone about the Lord or serving them in the name of Jesus. So it takes humility to see salvation come to pass. When we think about the Lord, we have to realize there was no person, no matter how devalued by society, no matter how outcast or marginalized, how sinful or even even power-hungry that Jesus wouldn't associate himself with. He was, he was found with them all. And some people didn't like that very much. He got in there. He mixed it up with every one of them. Here's a short list. Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, the diseased women of the day who were not to interact on a social level with men in certain settings, even the religious leaders of the day. No one was beneath Jesus' investment of time and expression of the Father's love 
and proclaiming the kingdom. This may sound strange. I'm leading with this because it's, it's probably the only outlier thing that we would grasp here in terms of humility, but I want to get this in here because I believe it's the full counsel of the Lord. It's a right division of the word of truth. Sometimes humility is confrontational and conflict generating. How can that be? We're going to see later in the message that humility serves the best interest of others when it comes to the love of Christ and the gospel. So with that in mind, if you track with me on that, Jesus in humility, in service to our best interests, always will bring us what we need to find salvation, not just what we want. And how many of you know you've heard the things he says you need and it's not very fun sometimes? And sometimes it's confrontational. Come on, parents, when you raise children, you, the greatest service you can be to them is lead them to the Lord by telling them no, by correcting them. Amen? Is this making sense? So humility just doesn't mean you kind of disappear like a wallflower and there's, you know, there's no, there's no confrontation. That would be a misunderstanding of humility that I want to make sure we're not uh, falling for that. Would we serve others, we will have left our reputation behind. Oh, isn't that hard to do? We demonstrate that we're willing to pay the price of any temporary consequences we may suffer according to Psalm 15, 4, swearing to our own hurt, in order to see someone's highest and best come to pass. Always remember that. Our actions in humility and love always have to have, is this in the highest best for, for my neighbor? And God's word uh, says what that is. So when we, when we embrace humility, we don't think less of ourselves. We think highly of others. And we think less about our own interests Get that, as we pursue God's interests. It, it's a trade-off. It seems like the more into what we're, we're after, God's pursuits can start coming second place. We don't want that. We want it to be all God, all the time, all his way. See, Jesus, you, you might, I don't know if you all are familiar with the story, but there was an account in the Gospels where he was very frustrated with the way people were acting in the house of the Lord. He came in, he turned over the, the tables, he even had a whip, it says, and he drove them out. And we know from Scripture that he was without sin. And we know from Scripture we're going to see that he was humble and he was serving us. So those two things don't seem to jive, but they do if you think about this. He knew it hurt their egos. He knew it made a scene. He knew it ruffled their feathers. He knew it was confrontational. But his trajectory was to the cross to pay for our sins. His confrontational actions were never for his own benefit, but for the mission and the message of the gospel. The, miss the mission and the message of the gospel. So his act in the temple that day, if you follow the story, it really lit the match of the religious leaders and it enraged them so much that they ensured they were going to crucify him. And that was the prophetic fulfillment of why Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to serve us. Does that make sense? You're hearing the truth today. The truth will set you free. So don't miss this. True humility must be driven by a greater mission, driven by the light of eternity. 
we're a little short-sighted at times, but if we'll, if we'll grasp what heaven wants, what eternity wants, we'll get a hold of that. And we're going to see that here in Philippians chapter 2. Really what happens when we humble ourselves like Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a bond servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. Pause right there. Take up your cross and follow him. Amen. For this reason... Also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those which are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to pause there and comment. We're going to read the rest of that. We don't humble ourselves so that everyone knows our name. That's where the parallel ends here. We humble ourselves so that this act, this humbling act of our Savior is what's magnified. His name, his crucifixion, his glory. And so when we die to ourselves, we can walk in humility and see that. And so then, Paul says here to the church, understanding that, do this. So then, my beloved, just as you, has, have, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. We have a partner in the Lord and the Holy Spirit as long as we humble ourselves and allow him to do that work. We should walk circumspectly. We should be very um, self-evaluating. Am I humble in my service? Am I walking this out the way that you want me to do, Lord? Create in, my, in me a clean heart, Lord. Renew a right spirit. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. So there's a reverence of Almighty that we must bring to the working out of our salvation according to that passage we just looked at. It's the releasing of an inward work in an outward way that is humble, serving, and eternal in perspective. Leads us to fill in number three today. Humility is a choice. Humility is a choice. It's our choice. Jesus humbled himself. We must humble ourselves. It's very redundant, but I'm just layering, layering these over and over so we see that this is what God's word is telling us today. James 4, verse 7. Humility is a choice. Submit therefore to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and I'm going to comment that on that in a second. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. This was a rebuke to the church at the, that day. It is not saying that you need to walk around in a miserable, mourning, weeping, gloomy attitude all the time. So let's hear what it's saying here. This was written to the church. They were taking their cues from the world. And 
again, if the shoe fits, obviously we need to wear it. We need to apply it to our lives. But they were living like the world and they were treating each other according to the world's ways and standards, not the way of Jesus. There was such arrogance and self-sufficiency and a spirit of judgment and self-righteousness that the church had there. And they made a practice of harshly judging one another. And you study that out in other, even other uh, letters, there was people suing each other in the church and he was just saying, you're not discerning or judging your own heart motives before you rush to judge the heart motives of, of others. And so we wouldn't want that to, to, to be the case. And how do we avoid that? We just simply walk in humility. We humble ourselves. It's not about getting even. It's about serving the highest at best for those of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's go to Proverbs 15. Verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom and before honor comes humility. Ephesians 4, 1, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, and we're going to find out what that is in a second, with which you have been called, with all what? Humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Fill in number four, humility releases grace. Humility releases grace. Humility releases grace, which contains what faith is seeking. If there's no grace, there's nothing for our faith to access. We're saved by grace through faith, we must understand. So it takes humility to admit we're sinners and in need of a savior. It takes humility to recognize we are all equally sinful and undeserving, but all equally loved and forgiven by the Father through Jesus Christ. That is a right estimation of where we all stand. See, pride blocks the grace of God which is where the highest favor and blessing are found and released. If we ever entertain pride, pride was what got Satan kicked out of heaven, to be honest. It wasn't necessarily that he was a worship leader. It was that he was prideful and he exalted himself and he wanted to be the one that was worshiped. So pride's a powerful force in the hands of the enemy to work against us. First Peter 5, 5, the B portion says here, and all of you, and as I read this, I would say to myself, that's me. I'm an all of you. All of you. Will you say that's me? Still didn't work. It's First service I had to go through this whole thing to get everyone to say that's me. It's funny. So this is where I try to get you to personalize the scripture and say that's me, like when, when it says all of you. So say that's me. Good. So now if I was doing it real fast, and all of you, say that's me. Yes, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Whoever desires to be great must become the servant of all. We know this. We should know this. Someone's pizza is done. Oh, well, 
Philippians 4, humility serves. I'm all about food, so any alarm is like, the pizza must be done, right? (laughs) Humility serves. Matthew 20, verse 26. It is not this way among you, but whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, Can I read the last part of that? Because I hear this, and it still blows my mind. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How many people do you know that it seems like the larger their influence gets, it becomes about everyone serving them? And somehow, we're all guilty of this. We lose sight of, no, no, no. The the greater my influence, the greater my platform, the more I should be in service to others. Does that make sense? Let's not build a platform to get our influence greater. Let's serve so that that lifts up the platform of humility and gives entrance and influence and access to grace and the truth of the gospel. Jesus did the will of the Father. Humility walks in obedience to something or someone greater. And ultimately, humility seeks the big picture and the greater purposes and plans of God. Matthew 10, 39. The one who has found his life will lose it, and the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. We really do live in an upside-down kingdom. No one else in the world is going to tell you this. All the memes and all the self-motivating inspirational posters are all about, hey, cut ties with anyone who weighs you down and do what serves you best so that you can live your best life. And the gospel says the exact opposite. Lose your life. Stop making a big deal about yourself. Start seeing what, what kind of a deal you can make about others. Philippians 2, verse 1 through 3, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. I love that. I got a wow. I think we should wow that. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. There's a way we can misinterpret this and say we're supposed to kind of disappear like a wallflower and not, I said that before, and be lowly and always tread upon. It's not saying that. It's saying don't abandon your own interests, but defer and have an open heart to serving the interests of others. Make sense? In fact, sometimes we're not going to be any good to anyone else if we haven't at least taken care of the basics of our own, our family, our health, our mental health, our spiritual health. Make sense? So you're not abandoning that. You're not neglecting the priorities, the big rock priorities God has in your life to go serve others. You're making sure that's there with the mind 
that you should serve others in humility. So humility is a right estimation of our eternal purpose and path. In a way, it shows us that service determines destiny. It's not a fill-in, but you should write that down. Service determines destiny. Where you're going, where God has you to go, is determined on how much of a servant you're willing to be and how humble you're willing to make yourself. And I have to admit that I'm very hard-headed and very strong in some of the things that I've thought, and I've learned many times that it's better to humble yourself than to let God humble you. It's a very painful process. But I have to be honest and say I welcome both. Lord, correct me. Lord, change me. If I have to be broken in some areas, great. Because then when all that's broken, then I'm useful for his service. And we should invite that. Service determines destiny. John 13 and 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and he laid his outer garments aside and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. This is such a beautiful picture, a beautiful symbolic imagery, if you can imagine it, of the ultimate selfless act from others that I've read and heard uh, that comment on what the culture of the day was. The lowest position, the lowest segment of society was to be one of these feet washer people. And it, in a setting like that, they wouldn't wash each other's feet. It would be the servant person who had the very lowly, demeaning task of washing all the grime. Hey, feet are nasty and smelly. And yeah, you got to be serving someone to wash someone's feet, right? And so Jesus basically showed us in this picture right here that I will become the lowest of the low to serve you. And it was a, a picture of I'm going to the cross and I'm going to give my life for you. He sets a pretty low bar for us and we need to try to get low with him. Make sense? <clears throat> Self-service provides an, an immediate reward, right? But selfless service provides eternal fruit and an eternal reward. If you don't have communion elements, just slip your hand up and the ushers will, will come around and bring those to you. There are many things that we can take from the way of Jesus and we're going to hear about other ways and we're going to be taught other ways. But today is humility. And I think when we reflect on what we're about to do, receive communion, if nothing else, it should remind us of the humility of Jesus that we should find ourselves. Let's just, while they're continuing to do that, let's just really take, take hard inventory. Let's just pause and let the Lord and the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts.
Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name, and, and I admit that I struggle with this truth. I'm overwhelmed at the, the power of how truly of a humble servant you were as you walked among us. And even as you reign now in eternity and you intercede on my behalf, your love never ends, your sacrifice never ends for me. It's always reaching to me, the chiefest of sinners. And so I pray that for every person here, maybe church has just been a good experience, a religious path to follow. Maybe, maybe there are people in the room that have felt like they know about you but they have never gotten down on their hands and knees and said, I am a sinner. I confess it and I need you, a savior, a Jesus. And I invite you to walk with me and I confess you before the Father. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God the Father raised you, Jesus, from the dead for my sins. You might be making that transaction in your heart right now, but I want to encourage you to come down after, after this is over and seal that deal with someone who can pray with you and confess the Lord Jesus. And right now, Lord, there are some here that are walking in the truth of your word, but not the fullest expression of what the Holy Spirit could be doing in their lives. And and they haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. They haven't spoken in a heavenly language. They haven't allowed the gifts of the Spirit to flow through them. And I just pray right now, Lord, you give good gifts and you just ask us to receive it. So if anyone would be hungry and thirsty for the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill them right now in their seat in the name of Jesus. And if you're hungry for that and you're still not sure about what that's about, come down. And we will pray with you and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit today. And so, Lord, we see here in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 11, you said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's receive the body of Jesus broken for you together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the, the cup of the Lord, the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as you do so, receive healing, receive forgiveness of sins, receive all that he has for you under this new covenant right now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for that. Lord, you spoke to us today through your word. You spoke to us through the body of Christ who's been here to encourage and, and exhort one another. And it seemed to me so strongly that you were asking us to trust you, 
just to trust you. So we receive that and we receive all that you want to do today here at the Church of Grace and Peace in this local body. Lord, I pray that you send people in from the highways and the byways. I pray that we would begin to see this place again filled with the hungry, the hurting, and the lost, Lord. I pray that a sense of holiness and the power of your spirit as we tasted today would become stronger and stronger and stronger and more evident and more prevalent and that your body would, would be hungry for you, that the sound of worship in this place would not be a trickling, even a flowing brook, but a mighty roar of heaven's waterfall, a mighty roar of wind of the spirit of God that we would not clean ourselves up to come meet you, but we would come and be cleaned up in your presence, that your love would draw all men to the Savior, Jesus. So we thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that your word is seed, and that means even if something didn't happen right now, tomorrow, the next week, the next year, and throughout eternity, the harvest will continue to come. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, church said amen. Amen. amen.